the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Wednesday, December the 23rd, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today, on December 23rd, 1954, the first successful human kidney transplant took place at Peter Bent Brigham Hospital in Boston. A surgical team removed a kidney from a 23-year-old Ronald Herrick, and they implanted it in Herrick's twin brother, Richard. That's done regularly now. The first one was 1954. Today in 1783, George Washington resigned as Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army. He retired to his home in Mount Vernon, Virginia. Believing that it was all over for him, he was retiring, but he had a few other activities that came into his life after this moment. He gave a long speech to the Continental Army. He didn't give it today in 1783. He actually gave it in November. It was last month of 1783. But in it, he, among other things, in his speech to the to the military, the U.S. military, he talked about a lot about the Constitution and about political factions. And he warned the people and the, the military to whom he was speaking that political factions may seek to obstruct the execution of the laws created by the government or to prevent the branches of government from exercising the powers provided them by the Constitution. Much more to say about that, but that was the tone of some of the things that he felt important to share with a new nation that was literally being birthed as he spoke. Very, very interesting I wish we had time to read more of his uh, comments. We don't. Today in 1913, the Federal Reserve System was created by President Woodrow Wilson, signed the Federal Reserve Act. 1913, of course, is when the federal income tax had its beginning as well. Today in 1933, President Franklin D. Roosevelt restored the civil rights of about 1,500 people who had been jailed for opposing World War One. Today in 1940, Chiang Kai-shek dissolved all communist associations in China. I want to talk a little bit more about China this morning. But she, she was separating the Chinese people from communism today in 1914 officially, in 1940 officially. Today in 1941, during World War II, American forces on Wake Island surrendered to the Japanese. Today, in 1948, former Japanese Premier Hideki Tojo and six other Japanese war leaders were executed in Tokyo. And today, in 2001, Time Magazine named New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani its Person of the Year. The reason, they said, was his steadfast response to the 9-11 terrorist attack. Now some of the same press, including Time magazine, is beating up on Rudy Giuliani because he is President Trump's lead lawyer.
One year ago today, Boeing ousted its CEO, Dennis Mullenberg. The company was engulfed in a crisis stemming from the crash of two of its 737 MAX airliners. They're still involved in the crisis, although they are saying, Boeing is saying, that by the end of this or this next year, uh, they will be flying again, and countries are starting to buy the 737 MAX airline, airliners. Would you want to fly on one? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, Boeing is Boeing. You know, they they created the air industry, really. I mean, there are other uh, plane makers, but, boy, I, I don't know. They really messed up on that. I don't know what happened, but it wasn't good. I don't think I'd want to fly on a 737 like the first one that pulls up to the concourse and the people jump on to go to see grandma or whatever. I'm not sure I'd want to be on that. I don't know. They'll probably have it all worked out. Speaking of airplanes, a Florida man busted, got busted by the police for jumping out of a out of a Delta flight at LaGuardia Airport. And the flight was taxiing. The airplane was moving and he was having a panic attack. And he kept asking the the uh, flight attendant, a, a woman, uh, if, if they could please stop the plane. He was having a panic, panic attack and he couldn't control himself. And uh, she kept telling him uh, he had his girlfriend with him, this guy, and a dog, a service dog. And um, she kept saying, yes, yes, you know, I'll tell the crew we'll stop the plane. But they didn't. And this guy decided they weren't going to. And so he opened the door. And he said after the fact, he didn't know that that door would trigger that slide. You know that thing you see when there's an emergency on an airplane? I've never, I've flown a lot in the past all over the world. and I've never been in an emergency that I was aware of, um, thankfully. And I do thank the Lord for that. But when you see an emergency, they, when they open that door, that chute, that, that it looks like a great big uh, air mattress or something that kind of shoots out of the plane. Well, this guy didn't know that that would happen. So he, but he jerked open the door and he was going to jump down to the tarmac. He, he was having this panic attack and that slide popped out there. And so he and his girlfriend and their dog jumped on this slide and slid down. They apparently didn't get hurt, but the, the plane was actually taxi. So obviously that created a lot of response as you can imagine. And, um, he said, I didn't even know there was a slot to go down, a slide. He said, I was just going to jump and whatever happened, happened. But he said, I just couldn't stay in the plane. He was 31 years old. His girlfriend is 23. And they had this, as I said, they had this dog with him. So now the authorities are trying to figure out. He said, I didn't mean to c commit a crime. I couldn't control myself. He said, I've been in a state of depression. And he said, my anxiety overcame me and I had a panic attack. So they're trying to decide what to do with the guy and and they put him in jail, and then the judge said, man, he's not harmful. He wasn't trying to hurt anyone. He, he was just having a problem. So they released him, but he's going to come to trial sometime later. You know, I, I don't know. I, a lot of people are in depression in America today because of the circumstances and the lockdowns and all the stuff that's going on politically, socially, spiritually. We're hearing all kinds of voices from supposed Christians who are in denial of biblical teaching. It's enough to depress people unless they keep their eyes and their heart turned toward the Lord and the Word of God. Mike Huckabee, as only Mike Huckabee can do, 
he wrote a, a number of small articles this morning and published them. I know some of you get, you know, his stuff or the, you read it because you mentioned it to me from time to time in your correspondence, little notes and things. But Mike Huckabee said this morning he wrote it on his website. He put it out to his list. I'm on his list. He said the Seattle City Council member who spearheaded the move to defund the police and dismiss most misdemeanor crimes under an array of conditions called the police when someone threw a rock through a window. Well, that, that did happen. We talked about it on this program. Anyway, Mike has picked up on this, Huckabee. He said, I hope that instead of dispatching police, the 9-11 operator gave her a lecture about how privileged she was to have windows at all when homeless people don't have windows. Incidentally, he said, when called on her hypocrisy, she insisted she never backed legalized crime, but uh, was just giving the accused a chance to tell their story so that judges and juries might make a decision based on the values of our city. How can we said if she represents the values of the city, then why, should, why did she call the cops instead of running out and asking the rock thrower, what's your story? That's so classic, Mike Huckabee. Yesterday on this program, I mentioned to you that it was very troubling what I saw coming out of Congress. Not a lot of people were talking about it yesterday morning. By last night, some were pointing out the fact that it was a very, very suspect stimulus deal that everybody seemed to be celebrating in Washington, D.C. with some dissenters. I mentioned yesterday that Rand Paul was very irritated about it. A couple of others came out after we were on the air and talked about it as well. But again, I, I mentioned I'm, you know, I'm not a statistician or a congressperson or whatever, but boy, I looked at that and I thought, what are they doing with this? There's trillions of dollars, and so much of it was going to other places in the world that had nothing to do with America. It really didn't have to do with humanitarian causes. Well, last night, President, and he is still President, Donald Trump, he said that Congress needs to pass a pandemic stimulus bill that includes $2,000 direct payments to America, not the 600 ones, or else he'll veto it. A lot of the news organizations are saying, well, he didn't actually threaten to veto it. Yeah, yeah, he did. He really did. Because he said, I'm not going to sign it. He said, the next administration, well, I'll read you what he said. He said, Congress found plenty of money for foreign countries, lobbyists, and special interests. This was last night. But he said, <laughs> he said, while spending the bare minimum to the American people who need it, he said it wasn't their fault, this virus. He said it was China's fault. President said he would veto a bill unless Congress can provide more money and stimulus payments and loans to small businesses in the midst of the pandemic. He said, I'm asking Congress, I'm quoting him, I'm asking Congress to amend the bill, this bill, and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 per couple. He said, I'm also asking Congress to get rid of all the unnecessary and wasteful items in this legislation. Trump said that lawmakers need to send him a suitable piece of legislation by his standards or else the next administration will have to sign off on the measure. That's, that is a promise to veto it if they don't fix it. But he concluded with this. He said, and maybe that next administration will be me. He went on to point out the hundreds of millions of dollars that are tagged for the Egyptian military, Cambodia, Burma, gender programs in pa Pakistan. I, I mentioned some of these yesterday on, on this program. 
Interestingly enough, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she jumped all over this. She said she agrees. <laughs> she agrees with Trump. She has never, ever agreed with Trump in all these years, but she agrees with this. I think she is politically astute enough still. She hasn't lost at all. I think she sees that he's on the right track. If they're going to be blowing money that the country doesn't have, they might as well spend it on our own people instead of sending it out all over the world. And as I said, if it's humanitarian, that's one thing. That's biblical, to help people in need. But I mean, gender programs, Egyptian military, I don't think so. So anyway, that happened after we were on the air yesterday. Last week, we learned that the Democratic Congressman Swalwell has had a long, he's a a Democrat from California, has had a long-term romantic relationship with this Christine Fang. She's also known as Fang Fang, which is not uncommon in Asian, especially Chinese names. But Fang, we learned, we learned this last week, is a Chinese Communist Party spy. Officially, some of our people working in intelligence have suggested that there may be as many as 70,000 women working for the Chinese Communist Party in similar roles. Their role is to just sort of meld into society and target certain people. In this case, Fang, her objective or her her mission uh, given by the communist government of China was to get involved with sexually in romantic relationships with Democrat lawmakers. And Swalwell went for it, and so they had this fairly long term, several years, this relationship. Whether Did he know who she was? I don't know if he ever learned that she was a communist spy. But anyway, only God knows how much he told her, but they had an intimate relationship. Now we've learned that through this leaked database that China's Communist Party has created a Mass infiltration of American companies with serious national security implications. I want to talk to you just a little bit about that today because the infiltrated companies include Boeing, Qualcomm, Pfizer, IBM, 3M, the biggest country, uh, companies in the world. When you put this up beside, but it's, I, and I'm not suggesting, I want to be clear, I'm not suggesting that they have brought these people in because they're communist. I, I'm not suggesting that I don't know what how these companies at the top they're mostly all publicly held so the stockholders obviously have a a share in the company a large share but I don't know what they're thinking the top people I don't think they were just looking for communists to put to employ and put into key places in their companies but they're there I think it was mostly a a monetary a market-driven decision And I I want to be clear about that because I I don't want you to think I'm saying what I'm not saying. But I am saying that all of these companies have been infiltrated with communist Chinese. I mean, they're not just Chinese people. They're communist Chinese dedicated to the party. While the majority of Americans are still dealing with this Biden family's unusual, Hunter did nothing wrong for his father, financial dealings with China involving more than a billion dollars. This Congressman Swalwell's intimate relationship with this Chinese communist spy, this database of registered members of the Chinese Communist Party has shown that there's mass infiltration into American companies. And keep in mind that Swalwell serves 
on our intelligence committee in Congress. And some of the people on that, the Republicans, are, are saying he, he, he's not qualified to be on this committee. He should not know what this committee knows, given his history with this woman who is a Communist Party spy. But they haven't removed him, the Democrats, not yet anyway. This is not an unrelated anomaly. It's very purposeful. It's well orchestrated. It's a march through our American institutions, and that's exactly what Karl Marx was advocating in his writing years ago. He said, you've got to be patient. You can't win it overnight. You've got to stay on course. And he talked about, and it was later defined by some of his disciples. He didn't actually use that term, but that's what he was teaching. But his Gramsci and others that picked up on Marxism and made it, really morphed it into cultural Marxism, they kind of coined that phrase in their teachings of what Karl Marx had taught. But they were his disciples. But they talked about the long march through American institutions about the foundations of society and how if they were attacked in a steadfast way over a long period of time, you can prevail. In 2018, I wrote an article about on our website, and I talked about it on this program, about how China is opening these Confucius Institutes in public schools, universities across America, and how they're being used for pure indoctrination purposes under the guise of teaching history, Chinese history. They weren't teaching history. They were indoctrinating students and professors who were probably already indoctrinated toward socialism and particularly communism. But they're everywhere. The University of Washington has one. They're across Washington State. They're all over the country. They're still there. Some of them have closed because people started talking about it. Our voice is not the most amplified voice in America, but we were talking about it here. And others with a much larger audience were saying the same thing need to take a look at this. This isn't good. And under the guise of a history experience, cultural experience for the students, they set up shop, they spent money, they paid for teachers to teach certain subjects related to China and so on, for all these schools who never have enough money for their, <laughs> for their budget. And then last year, in 2019, I wrote about it again because this kept I, I kept seeing it. I kept thinking, man, this is not good. Our kids are there, and this thing just kind of melds in. It's just kind of like, you know, Mrs. So-and-so who teaches English and lives down the street. I mean, they just became part of the classroom culture, whether it was a university or high schools. Now this. This list that they got, and they got the server, so it wasn't hacked off the Internet has 1.95 million Communist Party members in it. It was leaked to an international group of legislators, Australian, Canada, and here, including Senators Marco Rubio, a Republican from Florida, and Bob Menendez, he's a Democrat from New Jersey. IBM is deeply infiltrated. While most of the people listed in the database have not yet been identified as spies, they just got this thing here just a few days ago. All right. Our State Department has tightened visa rules for its members earlier this month because they became aware of this. Chinese Communist Party members are limited to one month single entry U.S. permits now. I don't think that's going to change anything, but it's certainly a step in the right direction. Clearly, that would change under a Biden presidency. 
He's not going to stand up to China. He can't afford to. They own his son and their family. And I'll be very blunt about that. I am absolutely convinced. I've read all everything I could find on that subject because I really wanted to know for this program so I could speak truth as best I can. And so I would know just for myself, my own interests and family, my family interests. But David Robinson is an Internet. He was one of the co-founders of Internet 2.0, and you're probably familiar with that program. He's a former Australian Army intelligence officer. He said, he told the press the day before yesterday, we have high confidence this list is authentic. He said someone, an insider, a dissident, managed to get physical access to the server in Shanghai from outside the building. He said they didn't have to hack it over the Internet. Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican from Missouri, has looked over this stuff, and he's a member of the Homeland Security Committee. He's one of them that's saying, you know, get get rid of this guy who's been sleeping with this Chinese spy. And he's uh, concerned about America's best interest, as they all should be. He said the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party agents, have no place in U.S. government facilities, and this report should serve as a much-needed wake-up call to Washington, D.C. and corporate executives who continue to welcome the Chinese government with open arms. Keep in mind that each Communist Party, Chinese Communist Party member these 1.95 million that they have the names of, and they have a lot of information about them, actually. Each of these have sworn an oath. And a part of that oath, I wrote an article on this today at faithandfreedom.us. If you go on there, you can see some of the things I'm talking about now. Not everything I talk about on this program is in that, but parts of it are. But you will see I put a link to the oath that these people take. It's pretty, pretty strong oath. And I suppose it's enforced by the communist government, by the power people. But part of that oath says, as I said, I've linked it. You can read it for yourself. But part of that oath says that I, I promise to fight for communism throughout my life, be ready at all times to sacrifice my all for the party and the people, and never betray the party and guard party secrets and be loyal to the party. And there's, there's more. It's very... Uh, binding. This list of about a million, 1.95 million Communist Party members contains the member's name, their ethnicity, place of birth, education level, identification number, and in some cases, a phone number and an address. Now, the Communist Party in China has about 92 million members, so this is a small amount of that. But from this information, Robinson has already verified the identity of three women who are on that list as oath-taking Communist Party activists who work at our U.S. consulate in Shanghai. This is just a a blink, just one snapshot of how this works. Hundreds of Chinese Communist Party members are embedded within the Chinese divisions of our major U.S. corporations, from IBM to 3M to, as I said, Boeing, a whole bunch of them. The existence of the party units within foreign companies in China isn't surprising because the regime mandates any organization with at least three Chinese Communist Party members, they are to form a branch within that organization. In other words, China requires American companies, and again, there's a whole list of them, IBM, 3M, 
on and on, Boeing, etc. But China requires them to have these, to bring in these party members to work for them in order to get permission to act in their and do business in their country. And so these companies do that because they say, well, we don't want to discriminate. I mean, well, sure, we don't care what your beliefs are. If you're Christian, that's fine. If you're a communist, that's fine. We just, we, you know, we don't care. We're, we're inclusive or whatever. So <laughs> they bring these people in. Well, the, the Communist Party then says form a branch within that company. And so within that company, they form, it's not a union, but I mean, it's kind of like that. And they form this branch within, and then they begin to, um, you know, proselytize. They begin to try to get others to join the Communist Party. And they begin gathering information based on what their job is and what responsibilities they have and what access they have. New York-based IBM has at least two dozen party units, not people, but party units. There's 808 members in China that belong to the Chinese Communist Party working for IBM in China. IBM is, as I said, New York-based. 3M, it's a manufacturer of consumer and healthcare goods, including the N95 respirators and other medical supplies that are critical to us and the world preventing this COVID-19, this Wuhan virus. It has 230 Communist uh, Party members working in their company, and they're organized in branches. Dow Chemical Company, one of the world's three largest chemical producers, lists 337 Communist Chinese Communist Party members within their corporation. And as of 2016, and that's four years ago, but about at that date, that's the best date that the people that were researching this could find. But there were around 75,000 businesses, which is about 70% of the roughly 106,000 foreign firms in China. 60% of them, or 70% of them were American-based. And each of them have party units embedded in them. If these companies don't cooperate, they can't do business in China. While these numbers of employees who are hardcore Communist Party members, it doesn't seem daunting. You say, well, I mean, there's billions of people in the world and, you know, a billion, two billion, whatever in China. I mean, what's the big deal? Well, they're well-placed and they're deeply committed, not to China. These people are not patriots. These people are deeply committed to the Communist Party, even willing to die for the cause, according to the oath. The party sees itself as being kind of besieged by the capitalist world. They see anyone who does not embrace their worldview as an enemy that needs to be subdued and defeated. And make no mistake, the ideological drive of the Communist Party has always been to take over the world. Only a fool believes otherwise. In 1776, Thomas Paine wrote, These are times that try men's souls, in his pamphlet titled The American Crisis. America was in a time of crisis. Paine was a a deist. He believed that God created everything and then left it, that God was not involved in the affairs of human beings. But God says he is, and we know that to be true. God is in control. As the psalmist said, I put my trust in the Lord. 
We're out of time. We'll continue this conversation tomorrow. Thanks for being with me. Thank you for your support. I'll see you right here tomorrow.